Chapter 29 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Deluge, Volume 2, by Henrik Schenkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin, 1835-1906. Chapter 29 That night, Vorovsky went on a scouting expedition, and about morning returned with a number of informants. These men asserted that the King of Sweden was at Szebrzeszyn in person, and would soon be at Zamosht. Zamoyski was rejoiced at the news, for he hurried around greatly, and had a genuine desire to try his walls and guns on the Swedes. He considered, and very justly, that even if he had to yield in the end, he would detain the power of Sweden for whole months, and during that time Jan Kazimir would collect troops bring the entire Tartar force to his aid, and organise in the whole country a powerful and victorious resistance. Since the opportunity is given me, said he, with great spirit at the military council, to render the country and the king notable service, I declare to you, gentlemen, that I will blow myself into the air before a Swedish foot shall stand here. They want to take Zamoyski by force? Let them take him. We shall see who is better. You, gentlemen, will, I trust, aid me most heartily. We are ready to perish with your grace, said the officers in chorus. If they will only besiege us, said Zagwaba, I will lead the first sortie. I will follow, uncle, cried Ro Kowalski. I will spring at the king himself. Now to the walls, commanded Zamoyski. All went out. The walls were ornamented with soldiers as with flowers. Regiments of infantry so splendid that they were unequalled in the whole commonwealth, stood in readiness, one at the side of the other, with musket in hand and eyes turned to the field. Not many foreigners served in these regiments, merely a few Prussians and French. They were mainly peasants from Zamoyski's inherited lands, sturdy, well-grown men who, wearing coloured jackets and trained in foreign fashion, fought as well as the best Cromwellians of England. They were specially powerful when, after firing, it came to rush on the enemy in hand-to-hand -hand conflict, and now, remembering their former triumphs over Khmelnytsky, they were looking for the Swedes with impatience. At the cannons, which stretched out through the embrasures their long necks to the fields as if in curiosity, served mainly Flemings, the first of gunners. Outside the fortress, beyond the moat, were squadrons of light cavalry, 
safe themselves for they were under cover of cannon certain of refuge and able at any moment to spring out whithersoever it might be needed zamoyski wearing inlaid armour and carrying a gilded baton in his hand rode around the walls and inquired every moment well what not in sight yet and he muttered oaths when he received negative answers on all sides after a while he went to another side and again he asked well what not in sight yet it was difficult to see the swedes for there was a mist in the air and only about ten o'clock in the forenoon did it begin to disappear the heaven shining blue above the horizon became clear and immediately on the western side of the walls they began to cry they are coming they are coming they are coming zamoyski with three adjutants and zagwoba entered quickly an angle of the walls from which there was a distant view and the four men began to look through field glasses the mist was lying a little on the ground yet and the swedish hosts marching from violoncha seemed to be wading to the knees in that mist as if they were coming out of wide waters the nearer regiments had become very distinct so that the naked eye could distinguish the infantry they seemed like clouds of dark dust rolling on toward the town gradually more regiments artillery and cavalry appeared the sight was beautiful from each quadrangle of infantry rose an admirably regular quadrangle of spears between them waved banners of various colours but mostly blue with white crosses and blue with golden lions they came very near on the walls there was silence therefore the breath of the air brought from the advancing army the squeaking of wheels the clatter of armour the tramp of horses and the dull sound of human voices when they had come within twice the distance of a shot from a culverin they began to dispose themselves before the fortress some quadrangles of infantry broke ranks others prepared to pitch tents and dig trenches they are here said zamoyski they are the dog brothers answered zagwoba they could be counted man for man on the fingers persons of my long experience however do not need to count but simply to cast an eye on them there are ten thousand cavalry and eight thousand infantry with artillery if i am mistaken in one common soldier or one horse i am ready to redeem the mistake with my whole fortune is it possible to estimate in that way ten thousand cavalry and eight thousand infantry i have hope in god that they will go away in much smaller numbers only let me lead one sortie do you hear they are playing an aria 
In fact, trumpeters and drummers stepped out before the regiments, and military music began. At the sound of it, the more distant regiments approached, and encompassed the town from a distance. At last, from the dense throngs, a few horsemen rode forth. When halfway, they put white kerchiefs on their swords, and began to wave them. An embassy, cried Zagwaba. I saw how the scoundrels came to Kiedani with the same boldness, and it is known what came of that. Zamosh is not Kiedani, and I am not the voyevoda of Vilno, answered Zamoyski. Meanwhile, the horsemen were approaching the gate. After a short time, an officer of the day hurried to Zamoyski with a report that Pan Jan Sapieha desired, in the name of the King of Sweden, to see him and speak with him. Zamoyski put his hands on his hips at once, began to step from one foot to the other, to puff, to pout, and said at last with great animation, Tell Pan Sapieha that Zamoyski does not speak with traitors. If the King of Sweden wishes to speak with me, let him send me a Swede by race, not a Pole, for Poles who serve the Swedes may go as ambassadors to my dogs. I have the same regard for both. As God is dear to me, that is an answer, cried Zagwoba with unfeigned enthusiasm. But devil take them, said the starosta, roused by his own words and by praise. Well, shall I stand on ceremony with them? Permit me, your worthiness, to take him that answer, said Zagwoba, and, without waiting, he hastened away with the officer, went to Jan Sapieha, and, apparently, not only repeated the starosta's words, but added something very bad from himself, for Sapieha turned from the town as if a thunderbolt had burst in front of his horse, and rode away with his cap thrust over his ears. From the walls and from the squadrons of the cavalry which were standing before the gate, they began to hoot at the men riding off. To the kennel with traitors, the betrayers, Jew servants, hush, hush. Sapieha stood before the king, pale, with compressed lips. The king, too, was confused, for Zamosch had deceived his hopes. In spite of what had been said, he expected to find a town of such power of resistance as Krakow, Poznan, and other places, so many of which he had captured. Meanwhile, he found a fortress powerful, calling to mind those of Denmark and the Netherlands, which he could not even think of taking without guns of heavy calibre. What is the result? asked the king when he saw Sapieha. Nothing. Zamoyski will not speak with Poles who serve your royal grace. 
he sent out his jester who reviled me and your royal grace so shamefully that it is not proper to repeat what he said it is all one to me with whom he wants to speak if he will only speak in default of other arguments i have iron arguments but meanwhile i will send forgel half an hour later forgel with a purely swedish suite announced himself at the gate the drawbridge was let down slowly over the moat and the general entered the fortress amid silence and seriousness neither the eyes of the envoy nor those of any man in his suite were bound evidently zamoyski wished him to see everything and be able to report to the king touching everything the master of zamosht received forgel with as much splendour as an independent prince would have done and arranged all in truth admirably for Swedish lords had not one-twelfth as much wealth as the Poles had, and Zamoyski among Poles was well-nigh the most powerful. The clever Swede began at once to treat him as if the king had sent the embassy to a monarch equal to himself. To begin with, he called him Pransep, and continued to address him thus, though Pan Sobiepan interrupted him promptly in the beginning, not Pransep, Ekves Polonus, a Polish nobleman, but for that very reason, the equal of princes. Your princely grace, said Forgel, not permitting himself to be diverted, the most serene king of Sweden and lord, here he enumerated his titles, has not come here as an enemy in any sense, but, speaking simply, has come on a visit, and through me announces himself having, as I believe, a well-founded hope that your princely grace will desire to open your gates to him and his army. It is not a custom with us, answered Zamoyski, to refuse hospitality to any man, even should he come uninvited. There will always be a place at my table for a guest. But for such a worthy person as the Swedish monarch, the first place. Inform then the most serene king of Sweden that I invite him, and all the more gladly, since the most serene Carolus Gustavus is lord in Sweden, as I am in Zamosht. But as your worthiness has seen, there is no lack of servants in my house. Therefore his Swedish serenity need not bring his servants with him. Should he bring them, I might think that he counts me a poor man, and wishes to show me contempt. Well done! whispered Zagwoba, standing behind the shoulders of Pan Sobiepan. When Zamoyski had finished his speech, he began to pout his lips, to puff and repeat, Ah, here it is, this is the position. Forgel bit his moustache, 
was silent a while and said it would be the greatest proof of distrust toward the king if your princely grace were not pleased to admit his garrison to the fortress i am the king's confidant i know his innermost thoughts and besides this i have the order to announce to your worthiness and to give assurance by word in the name of the king that he does not think of occupying the possessions of zamosch or this fortress permanently but since war has broken out anew in this unhappy land since rebellion has raised its head and yan kazimir unmindful of the miseries which may fall on the commonwealth and seeking only his own fortune has returned within the boundaries and together with pagans comes forth against our christian troops the invincible king my lord has determined to pursue him even to the wild steppes of the tartars and the turks with the sole purpose of restoring peace to the country the reign of justice prosperity and freedom to the inhabitants of this illustrious commonwealth zamoyski struck his knee with his hand without saying a word but zagwoba whispered the devil has dressed himself in vestments and is ringing for mass with his tail many benefits have accrued to this land already from the protection of the king continued forgel but thinking in his fatherly heart that he has not done enough he has left his prussian province again to go once more to the rescue of the commonwealth which depends on finishing yan kazimir but that this new war should have a speedy and victorious conclusion it is needful that the king occupy for a time this fortress it is to be for his troops a point from which pursuit may begin against rebels but hearing that he who is the lord of zamosch surpasses all not only in wealth antiquity of stock wit high-mindedness but also in love for the country the king my master said at once he will understand me he will be able to appreciate my intentions respecting this country he will not deceive my confidence he will surpass my hopes he will be the first to put his hand to the prosperity and peace of this country this is the truth so on you depends the future fate of this country you may save it and become the father of it therefore i have no doubt of what you will do whoever inherits from his ancestors such fame should not avoid an opportunity to increase that fame and make it immortal in truth you will do more good by opening the gates of this fortress than if you had added a whole province to the commonwealth the king is confident that your uncommon wisdom together with your heart will incline you to this therefore he will not command he prefers to request he throws aside threats he offers friendship not as a ruler with a subject 
but as powerful with powerful does he wish to deal. Here, General Forgel bowed before Zamoyski with as much respect as before an independent monarch. In the hall it grew silent. All eyes were fixed on Zamoyski. He began to twist, according to his custom, in his gilded armchair, to pout his lips and exhibit stern resolve. At last he thrust out his elbows, placed his palms on his knees, and, shaking his head like a restive horse, began, This is what I have to say. I am greatly thankful to his Swedish serenity for the lofty opinion which he has of my wit and my love for the Commonwealth. Nothing is dearer to me than the friendship of such a potentate. But I think that we might love each other all the same if his Swedish serenity remained in Stockholm and I in Zamosch. That is what it is for Stockholm belongs to his Swedish serenity, and Zamosht to me. As to love for the Commonwealth, this is what I think. The Commonwealth will not improve by the coming in of the Swedes, but by their departure. That is my argument. I believe that Zamosht might help his Swedish serenity to victory over Jan Kazimir, but your worthiness should know that I have not given oath to his Swedish grace, but to Jan Kazimir. Therefore, I wish victory to Jan Kazimir, and I will not give Zamosch to the King of Sweden. That is my position. That policy suits me, said Zagwaba. A joyous murmur rose in the hall. But Zamoyski slapped his knees with his hands, and the sounds were hushed. Forgel was confused, and was silent for a time. Then he began to argue anew, insisted a little, threatened, begged, flattered. Latin flowed from his mouth like a stream, till drops of sweat were on his forehead. But all was in vain for after his best arguments, so strong that they might move walls, he heard always one answer. But still I will not yield Zamosch. That is my position. The audience continued beyond measure. At last it became awkward and difficult for Forgel, since mirth was seizing those present. More and more frequently some word fell, some sneer, now from Zagwoba, now from others, after which smothered laughter was heard in the hall. Forgel saw, finally, that it was necessary to use the last means. Therefore he unrolled a parchment with seals, which he held in his hand, and to which no one had turned attention hitherto, and rising, said with a solemn, emphatic voice, For opening the gates of the fortress, his royal grace, here again he enumerated the titles, 
gives your princely grace the province of Lubelsk in perpetual possession. All were astonished when they heard this, and Zamoyski himself was astonished for a moment. Forgel had begun to turn a triumphant look on the people around him, when suddenly and in deep silence Zagwoba, standing behind Zamoyski, said in Polish, Your worthiness, offer the king of Sweden the Netherlands in exchange. Zamoyski, without thinking long, put his hands on his hips and fired through the whole hall in Latin, and I offer to his Swedish serenity the Netherlands. That moment the hall resounded with one immense burst of laughter. The breasts of all were shaking, and the girdles on their bodies were shaking. Some clapped their hands, others tottered as drunken men. Some leaned on their neighbours, but the laughter sounded continuously. Forgel was pale. He frowned terribly, but he waited with fire in his eyes and his head raised haughtily. At last, when the paroxysm of laughter had passed, he asked in a short, broken voice, Is that the final answer of your worthiness? Zamoyski twirled his moustache. No, said he, raising his head still more proudly, for I have cannon on the walls. The embassy was at an end. Two hours later, cannons were thundering from the trenches of the Swedes, but Zamoyski's guns answered them with equal power. All Zamosht was covered with smoke, as with an immense cloud. Moment after moment there were flashes in that cloud, and thunder roared unceasingly. But fire from the heavy fortress guns was preponderant. The Swedish balls fell in the moat, or bounded without effect from the strong angles. Toward evening, the enemy were forced to draw back from the nearer trenches, for the fortress was covering them with such a rain of missiles that nothing living could endure it. The Swedish king, carried away by anger, commanded to burn all the villages and hamlets, so that the neighbourhood seemed in the night one sea of fire. But Zamoyski cared not for that. All right, said he, let them burn. We have a roof over our heads, but soon it will be pouring down their backs. And he was so satisfied with himself and rejoiced that he made a great feast that day and remained till late at the cups. A resounding orchestra played at the feast so loudly that, in spite of the thunder of artillery, it could be heard in the remotest trenches of the Swedes. But the Swedes cannonaded continually, so constantly indeed that the firing lasted the whole night. Next day, a number of guns were brought to the king, which, as soon as they were placed in the trenches, began to work against the fortress. The king did not expect, it is true, to make a breach in the walls. He merely wished to instil into Zamoyski the conviction 
that he had determined to storm furiously and mercilessly. He wished to bring terror on them, but that was bringing terror on Poles. Zamoyski paid no attention to it for a moment, and often, while on the walls, he said, in time of the heaviest cannonading, Why do they waste powder? Vorodyovsky and the others offered to make a sortie, but Zamoyski would not permit it. He did not wish to waste blood. He knew, besides, that it would be necessary to deliver open battle, for such a careful warrior as the king, and such a trained army, would not let themselves be surprised. Zagwoba, seeing this fixed determination, insisted all the more, and guaranteed that he would lead the sortie. "'You are too bloodthirsty,' answered Zamoyski. "'It is pleasant for us, and unpleasant for the Swedes. Why should we go to them?' You might fall, and I need you as a counsellor, for it was by your wit that I confounded Forgel so by mentioning the Netherlands. Zagwoba answered that he could not restrain himself within the walls. He wanted so much to get at the Swedes, but he was forced to obey. In default of other occupation, he spent his time on the walls among the soldiers, dealing out to them precautions and counsel with importance, which all heard with no little respect, holding him a greatly experienced warrior, one of the foremost in the Commonwealth, and he was rejoiced in soul, looking at the defence and the spirit of the knighthood. Pan Mihao, he said to Vordyovsky, there is another spirit in the Commonwealth and in the nobles, no one thinks now of treason or surrender, and every one out of good will for the Commonwealth and the King is ready to give his life sooner than yield a step to the enemy. You remember how a year ago from every side was heard, this one has betrayed, that one has betrayed, a third has accepted protection, and now the Swedes need protection more than we. If the devil does not protect them, he will soon take them. We have our stomachs so full here that drummers might beat on them, but their entrails are twisted into whips from hunger. Zagwoba was right. The Swedish army had no supplies, and for 18,000 men, not to mention horses, there was no place from which to get supplies. Zamoyski, before the arrival of the enemy, had brought in from all his estates for many miles around food for man and horse. In the more remote neighbourhoods of the country swarmed parties of confederates and bands of armed peasants, so that foraging detachments could not go out, since just beyond the camp certain death was in waiting. In addition to this, Pan Charnyetsky had not gone to the west bank of the Vistula, but was circling about the Swedish army like a wild beast around a sheepfold. Again, nightly alarms had begun, and the loss of smaller parties without tidings. Near Krasnik appeared certain Polish troops, which had cut communication with the Vistula. 
Finally, news came that Pavel Sapieha, the hetman, was marching from the north with a powerful Lithuanian army, that in passing he had destroyed the garrison at Lublin, had taken Lublin, and was coming with cavalry to Zamosch. Old Wittenberg, the most experienced of the Swedish leaders, saw the whole ghastliness of the position, and laid it plainly before the king. I know, said he, that the genius of your royal grace can do wonders, but judging things in human fashion, hunger will overcome us, and when the enemy fall upon our emaciated army, not a living foot of us will escape. If I had this fortress, answered the king, I could finish the war in two months. For such a fortress, a year's siege is short. The king, in his soul, recognised that the old warrior was right. But he did not acknowledge that he saw no means himself, that his genius was strained. He counted yet on some unexpected event. Hence he gave orders to fire night and day. I will bend the spirit in them, said he. They will be more inclined to treaties. After some days of cannonading so furious that the light could not be seen behind the smoke, the king sent Forgel again to the fortress. The king, my master, said Forgel, appearing before Zamoyski, considers that the damage which Zamosch must have suffered from our cannonading will soften the lofty mind of your princely grace and incline it to negotiations. To which Zamoyski said, Of course there is damage. Why should there not be? You killed on the market square a pig, which was struck in the belly by the fragment of a bomb. If you cannonade another week, perhaps you'll kill another pig. Forgel took that answer to the king. In the evening, a new council was held in the king's quarters. Next day, the Swedes began to pack their tents in wagons and draw their cannon out of the trenches, and in the night the whole army moved onward. Zamosh thundered after them from all its artillery, and when they had vanished from the eye, two squadrons, the Schemberg and the Lauda, passed out through the southern gate and followed in their track. The Swedes marched southward. Wittenberg advised, it is true, a return to Warsaw, and with all his power he tried to convince the king that that was the only road of salvation. But the Swedish Alexander had determined absolutely to pursue the Polish Dariusz to the remotest boundaries of the kingdom. End of chapter 29 Recording by David Granville Young